Okay. Yeah, we have two more, two more messages this week and next week, and then, and uh, likely I'll do some sort of review next week of this great book that we've been making our way through, and then we will dive into First Peter, First Peter. So, if you're not there already, if you would open your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, you might see a blue Bible located underneath the seats around you. I'd invite you to grab that, and you can turn that Bible to page 950. That'll bring you uh, to our text this morning. Guys, doing okay this morning? A little quiet today. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, let me let me just open a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And by it, we are instructed, exhorted, corrected, warned, encouraged, strengthened. Father, I pray we'll do all that this morning. And so help us. Help us to be attentive to your word. Uh, Lord, that requires discipline to discipline our minds and our hearts. It also requires preparation. Some of us may not have prepared well uh, to come and hear your word this morning. Maybe we didn't take time to pray that we would receive it well, or maybe we're just out of sleep and we're tired. So, Father, I pray that you would work through all those things and, and help us, Father. We need to hear from you, and we hear from you when we come and hear your word. So, Father, we pray for you to speak to us this morning, and I pray for minds that will be uh, willing to receive the truth of your word and live under it and according to it. For your glory, Father, and for our good. For you've given us your word because you love us. You care about us. It's your love letters to us. May we see it that way, understand it that way, and embrace it as such. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I titled this sermon, Final Warning, a Final Warning, and that'll become clear here in a second, but according to uh, xmasclock.com, I have it here on my phone, it's the only time I've ever brought my phone into the pulpit, uh, xmasclock.com, there are only 258 days, 13 hours, 6 minutes, and 21 seconds until Christmas. <laughs> so you can relax, you can relax because there's still plenty of time before you have to start thinking about gift buying, right? However, when that time of year, that season finally comes, when it arrives, we will no doubt be warned again by the authorities, by the police and such, to be on the lookout for thieves targeting holiday shoppers. One report from police that went out last year after some cars in various parking lots were broken into during this time of year and items stolen said this of these kind of thieves. It said they will, quote, sit in cars and they will use binoculars and watch people walk in and out of the stores. So... Don't unload gifts in your car and then continue your shopping, right? Makes sense? Maybe you've never heard that, but if you, if you haven't, 
Hopefully you'll be better prepared for the season when it arrives. The, the police officer went on to say that awareness, awareness is your best protection. Okay? If you're not aware, then you get taken advantage of. Well, beloved, in our text today, the Apostle Paul issues a warning as well. However, this warning is not about thieves who target holiday shoppers, but rather it is about false teachers who target the church, the people of God. Additionally, the threat that these uh, false teachers are to the church is uh, not simply a a seasonal thing, Not, not just something we have to look out for at a particular time of the year, but rather it's an all the time thing. An all-the-time thing. Which means, beloved, we should never let our guard down. We must always be on alert. And I'll say the same thing that police officer said, awareness is our best protection. So I'm going I'm to make you aware or more aware or reaffirm your awareness this morning uh, through the scriptures that we're going to look at. Speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, and we find that uh, in Acts 20, the Apostle Paul said this in verse 28 through 31. He said this, speaking to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, what does it say? I know, just notice this, it doesn't say not they might, or I, I think it could happen. He says, I know that after my departure, after I leave and go on and continue my, my mission, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. It's an interesting way, the flock is... It's a group of sheep, okay? So he's using an analogy here, an illustration. A flock is a group of sheep. The body of Christ is often referred to as sheep, right? They won't spare the flock, these wolves. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Or as the NIV translates it, they will distort the truth. Why? To draw away the disciples the people of God, the ones following Christ, after them. 31, therefore, what's it say? Be alert. Be alert. Another translation of the Bible puts the last few verses of Acts that we just looked at there this way. I know that after I leave, wild wolves will come in among you. They won't spare any of the sheep Even men from your own people will rise up and twist the truth. They want to get the believers to follow them, so be on your guard. So the attacks will come from outside the church, but they also come from inside the church, or at least those who attend the local congregation. Wolves. You know, Jesus spoke to this matter as well in 
Paul's probably drawing that same language that Jesus used to give this warning here in Acts. He said in Matthew 7.15, this is the words of Jesus Christ, beware of false prophets, those who claim to speak for God but do not really. They are not his followers who come to you. How do they come to you? In sheep's clothing, right? They, they, they're masquerading as something they are not. They appear to be innocent, maybe appear to be a child of God or a follower of Christ. But inwardly, let me tell you, Jesus says, what they really are. They are ravenous wolves. The NIV translates that ferocious. They are there to do what wolves do. Destroy, eat, kill, maim the sheep. Serious, beloved. The Apostle Paul's gospel preaching and and church planting ministry had on multiple occasions, if if you read the New Testament, we know, brought him into contact with these folks, false teachers, false prophets, Consequently, he became quite familiar with their tactics and their destructive ways and patterns. And so, out of love for God and the people of God, he repeatedly warned the churches about these kind of people. Let's take a look now at his warning to the church in Rome. And hopefully you're already there. Romans 16, we'll be reading verses 17 through 20. Apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. That's how we know this is about false teachers. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. One writer, you know, now remember this is at the end of the letter, so one writer comments, one Bible commentary, he just says, Paul could not resist giving a a final word of warning that they watch out for spiritual enemies. And this is kind of sandwiched, this warning in between the greetings. He was just giving Greetings. He was asking for greetings to be given to those in the church and talking about, and we saw it kind of just demonstrated the unity of the church and, and we were looking at that and then this warning pops out and then he comes back again after the warning and he'll send some greetings from those who are with him while he's there riding from Corinth to the church in Rome and then he closes out with that final doxology or benediction of praise. And, and so you see he just right here at the end he gives this final warning, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I can't say for sure, but I, I think the reason that Paul waits and places this warning at the very end of this letter is the same reason you're parting words to someone heading off 
to vacation in Mexico might be, hey, don't drink the water. Do <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That's, it's critical information that they need to know, and you don't want them to forget it. Kind of like saying, you know, I love you as your closing words when you get off the phone uh, with your loved one. It's the last thing you want them to hear. So let's take a closer look at what Paul says in this section here. In verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers. You see it there in your Bibles? I appeal to you, brothers. Another translation of the Bible, a good translation of the Bible, just translates it this way. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. The Greek word that's translated brothers in the ESV in most translations can be used to refer to not just brothers, not specifically just male Christians, but it can be used to refer to both brothers and sisters or fellow Christians. It can certainly mean that. And that's why the NET Bible translates it that way. And I would understand it that way. He's not just speaking to a specific uh, gender within the church. He's speaking to the entire church, brothers and sisters, fellow Christians. He's urging them all. Now, listen, I pointed out earlier that Paul spoke directly to the elders of the church, the elders of the church, the shepherds, the pastors of the church. So for this church, that's myself, that's Wes Stevens, that's, I can't find them, Tim Nelson and Eric Davis, 1.0, because we have another Eric Davis, we call him 2.0, and uh, he's not an elder, but um, who knows, maybe someday, I don't know, Uh, but that would be very confusing for our elder board. But anyway, those are the elders here, and and as I said, we, we read that where he calls the elders of the church, Paul, specifically those shepherds, those overseers, and he speaks directly to them, right? And it's in the context of false teachers and caring for the church that Paul told those elders to to be alert or to be on guard for wolves, for wolves who would come from outside the church, right, and rise from within the church. And, And I said that earlier, but beloved, Jesus speaks to this. There's wheat and there's tares in the church, meaning that there are those who are true believers, bonafide, authentic, born again, regenerated in the church. They're here in the local church. And there are those who are just pretending. Now, they might be deceiving, or maybe they are deceived themselves, or, but they're not true believers. And because of that, but they pretend to be, and people think they are, and because of that, they wreak all kinds of mess within the church because they're not regenerated, they're not saved, they're not redeemed. And so... That's why Paul can say that. Listen, these attacks will come from outside, and they'll come from within your own flock. So be aware, elders, overseers. They will speak twisted things or twist or distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And beloved, since he made the warning, it's been going on for the last 2,000 years. It continues to be a problem, a serious threat to the local church. However, this is what I wanted to show you, Paul's warning to the church in Rome concerning false teachers is not directed just to the elders, but to the entire church. Huh? To the entire church. So it is the entire church. I just want you to get this. It's the entire 
body, everyone who names Christ here, who's a regular attender or formal member of Summit Bible Church, it's to you that Paul says this in verse 17. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. It's not, beloved, just the responsibility of the leadership of the church, but it is the responsibility of the entire church. You with me so far? Now, the verb translated, let's find out what our responsibility is. The verb translated watch out for, watch out for in the ESV, is translated keep your eye on. Keep your eye on in the New American Standard Bible. It's another good translation. What the verb implies when you look at it in its original language, it just it implies close attention. Close attention. So one Bible commentator, recognizing that, says this, that they, the church in Rome or any church, should not adopt a casual attitude to false teachers. You hear me? A casual attitude, like, eh, no, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's a really big deal. So much so that you, the body of Christ, and certainly the elders and overseers who care for the flock are to be looking out for these kind of folks. They are dangerous. And it's not they might come. It is they will come. They will come from outside. They will arise from within. Another writer says this about that idea of watch out. He says, alertness to the danger is the main consideration for Paul. And what he's trying to communicate, why? Because failure to be on guard could result in being deceived. Being deceived. And that's no small matter, beloved. You know, we think about the whole Christmas thing. You fail to listen, to be alert, to be aware of the reality that there are folks targeting you during the shopping season. What's the worst that's going to happen? I don't know, your car will get broken into, your, your gifts that are going to perish anyway will be stolen. Still significant, Right? But this is way more than temporary gifts. This danger is way more serious, being deceived concerning Christian truths. Way more important for us to consider and think about and be aware of. Listen, the danger posed by these kind of people that Paul is is referring to, it's, it's not insignificant. And therefore, we as a body, we together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we all need to be on the lookout. Yes? Okay. The elders, the shepherds, the pastors, as I said, they're responsible. They are to watch over the sheep. But guess what? The sheep need to be aware and alert as well to the dangers around them, to the very real very real spiritual war that is being waged against the church. Now, Paul identifies these dangerous people for us as those who cause divisions within and create obstacles or stumbling blocks, literally, for the body of Christ. How do they do that? Through their false teaching. Through their false teaching. And beloved, that's teaching that perverts or distorts common and core Christian teaching or the fundamentals of the Christian faith, okay? There, There are some differences in the body of Christ about 
issues that are not fundamental to our salvation or fundamental to our understanding of God or Jesus Christ or the gospel. And we don't call them false teachers because they have a a little bit different understanding of how it's all going to end or something of that nature, okay? But uh, when someone distorts or twists the gospel or when they distort or twist or pervert who Jesus Christ is, like all the cults do, or who God is, or I would even argue human sexuality and what the Bible really says about that. That's fundamental, really. Then that's false teacher status, okay? And beloved, if false teachers and their false teaching are not diligently guarded against, if, if the threat is ignored or left unchecked, then it can and does rip the church apart and seriously hinder the Lord's work by causing God's people to spiritually stumble significantly. Paul goes on in verse 18 to say that such persons like this do not serve our Lord Christ but they serve their own what? Appetites, okay? Listen, just know this, Paul's saying, they do not serve the Lord Christ. Why might he say that? I don't know, because they claim to. They claim to. They say they do. They may even appear to on the surface, right? But Paul is telling you, in reality, they don't. Rather, They serve their own appetites. Why? Well, because they're unregenerate. They are not redeemed. They are still enslaved to their sin. They are not saved people. That's why they are believing and promoting doctrines and heresy among the body of Christ, or false doctrines and heretical things. They are... They are, Paul says, self-centered and self-indulgent. They are not striving to please the Lord, but rather they're striving or they're they're seeking to satisfy their own base desires or their fleshly appetites or pleasures. You know, I I read Matthew 7, 15 earlier because of what Jesus said about wolves and they come to you in sheep's clothing. They appear one way, but they are not as they appear. But let me read you the rest of what he says there in that section. He says this, beginning in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, this is I'm telling you, this is what they are. They're ravenous wolves. And then he says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. See, Paul's explaining the same thing. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? It's a rhetorical question. No, of course not. So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree, or these wolves, bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then verse 20, thus you will recognize them, who's the them? The wolves, 
those who will come in sheep's clothing to destroy the church, false teachers, false prophets, you will recognize them by their what? Fruits, their lives. What do their lives really look like? Do they, do they manifest the reality in their lives that these, they're regenerate people, they're saved people, they're redeemed people, that they are living for the Lord, that they're pursuing righteousness? Do they? Or do their lives demonstrate something else, that they are unredeemed because they live for themselves, they're living for their own pleasures, they're self-centered, self-gratifying, self-exalting, self-glorifying folks. Now, I want you to think about this. I'll come back to this at the end of this message. All of that, what Paul says, we know. Now, Paul knows. He tells you. They don't serve the Lord Christ. He has personal experience with them. He knows the truth about them. Jesus, he knows the truth. He looks right into the heart of man. He can tell you right away who a man or a woman really is. But for us, when he says you'll know them by their fruits, that assumes that we have a close-up view of their lives. Okay? That assumes that. It assumes that we could actually see them and examine them and know them in some way. So I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind. I'll come back to that. But either way, if you were able to, their fruits would reveal their true character. One writer says, commenting on this section here in Matthew 7, this uh, you know, false doctrine or, like I said, a perversion or twisting of the gospel or Jesus Christ or salvation or the fundamentals of the faith, False doctrine, he says, cannot restrain the flesh. False doctrine, one who embraces false doctrine cannot be saved, and because of that, they can't restrain their sinful flesh. They have no power, so false prophets manifest wickedness. They're still enslaved to their sin, and you'll see that if you can see them for long enough. But they also do a really good job of trying to cover that up. One writer commenting on this, another pastor, he just says this. This might be familiar to you. And when he said this, I'll tell you what I thought of. I thought of TBN, which is the Trinity Broadcast Network. Uh, maybe with one exception, I don't know of another one. I know there's a man, uh, you're probably familiar with him. Greg Laurie has a show on there, The Christian Man, a good pastor. Maybe with the exception, or with the exception of him, and I don't know if there's any others. There might be. Uh, but for the most part, they're all false teachers. Every single last one of them. And if you didn't know that, like if that was news to you, you're in danger. And I'm telling you right now, you're in serious danger. If you let that play in your house, then that is just false teaching pervading your home. But he says this, and this describes every single last one of them, most almost all of them, that are on the Trinity Broadcast Network, a Christian network that, by the way, pipes into homes all over the world. All over the world, beloved. You know how they do that? Because people pour tons of money into that ministry. You know why they do that? Because almost every single one of those last false teachers tells them if they do that, then God will bless them. He says, false teachers are in the ministry for their own profit or gain. You can see it over and over again. They take people's money so that they can live lavishly. I love it. You watch, I don't love it, I hate it, but I'm being sarcastic. But when you watch these guys, and I do from time to time, 
for self-torture, really, for self-torture. I think that's why I do it. I watch them, but on one level, just to hear, are they still saying the same old thing? And they're always saying the same old, they package it a little bit differently, but in order for them to live lavish lives, they've twisted the scripture so much that they tell you the gospel guarantees prosperity. That is, if you had enough faith. And if you have enough faith, then you can live like us in our Lear jets and in our wonderful cars and mansions and our vacation homes all over the world. You could live like us. You should live like us. Keep giving, and someday you might be able to live like us too. Uh, I just tell you, I, you know, and I think that's righteous anger. <laughs> they love power, they love being in the limelight false teachers, but they do not preach or live in submission to Christ as Lord. They say they do. And again, you don't know them, right? But if you begin to get to know them or you find out other people who have gotten to know them and they reveal the truths of their lives, then you learn right away. These people don't, they don't live in submission to Christ as Lord. Looking back at verse 18, Paul says this, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. False teachers use smooth, uh, plausible speech, believable, right? Listen, if it was obvious, if it was just so clear to everyone that these folks are lying, then who would believe them? They're, they're crafty. They use believable, persuasive speech. They are, as one writer says, clever at dressing up their heresies. And they do that, beloved, because they, they mix truth in there. Sometimes they'll have a, a lot of truth, per se, but with the truth are false truths. So you're hearing something, you go, that sounds right. And if you're not paying attention, they slip in the poison, and, you know, this has been talked about before, but I think it's always good. It's a good illustration. If I gave you a glass of water, purified water, and it was good, and you knew it was good, and I dropped just a little bit, just a little bit, just a drop of poison, the kind that kills you, into the water, would you still drink it? Of course not. That is what these false teachers do, and people all over our world drink it in. I like to say they're able to put a dress on a pig and make it look good. They're masters of that. The Apostle Peter, who also warned the church about false teachers, said this about them in verse 3, chapter 2, 2 Peter. In their greed, their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. These guys are full of stories, man. False words, uh, as one translation, they, they exploit you with false words, deceptive words. One writer says this, The child of God, beloved, the child of God must be aware of all those who by deceptive eloquence would lead them into error. They're eloquent. They're often very good speakers. Now, being a good speaker doesn't make you right. 
Paul says, by their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. The naive. Another translation says the unsuspecting. The unsuspecting. Now, concerning that word, naive, unsuspecting, one writer says this, those, they, the false teachers, aim to reach are naive. Uh, the simple-minded folk, so innocent of ulterior motive themselves that they imagine others are like them, their gullibility can be their downfall. You know, it's like, uh, it's like when you first have to have that conversation with your kids about a man who offers them candy. You know what I'm talking about? There's certain innocence to that child, uh, but that innocence can be their downfall. It's just that awkwardness. You want that child to be aware, and, and then their world starts to open up to the fact that the world is not a safe place. That there are evil men who would like to hurt them. Beloved, that same serious conversation is the one really that Paul's giving right here in Romans. There are evil folks, wicked folks, that seek to do the church harm. And if you're unaware... You're naive, you're not even thinking about it. It's not even on your radar. You may be deceived by them. So what instruction now does Paul give to the church about dealing with false teachers? I want you to look in your Bible. I want you to see what he says. Look back at the end of verse 17. What instruction does the Apostle Paul give about how you and I are to respond to false teachers? What's it say? Is that what it says? Yeah. It says avoid them. The New American Standard Bible says turn away from them. That's, you could translate it that way too. Turn away from them. Uh, the NIV says keep away from them. I don't, can it be any more clear? I think it's really clear. And when you take everything into consideration as, as this one person did, he says this, false teachers are divisive, self-centered, persuasive, teach what is contrary to the gospel, and must, therefore, be avoided at all cost. I was reading uh, what one pastor was saying about this idea, and he just mentioned this, and I thought it was good. He said that Paul uh, doesn't tell the church in Rome and therefore to us as well. He doesn't tell them to try to find common ground with them. Let's, you know, what do we have in common? That's that new kind of wave in our society, and unfortunately is coming to the church that we are to just tolerate everything and just embrace everyone. I'm sorry, that is not scriptural. We don't try to find common ground with them or discuss their ideas with them but rather we are to avoid them, to turn away from them. Why? Because they're dangerous, deceitful, and destructive. They're crafty. They're good at what they do. You say, how are they so good at what they do? Satan empowers them. One writer says this, as a practical measure, it is necessary to keep away from them giving no opportunity for inroads into the congregation, into the church. 
He goes on to say, religious aorists covet opportunities for, quote, friendly discussion. I mean, come on, let's just have a chat. Let's not. Let's not. You have nothing of value to talk to me about. Now, if you want to hear the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you want to shut your mouth for a few minutes, that may not be the most loving way to say that. So I probably would rephrase if I was actually in that encounter. Sure, I would love to give you that truth. But please, I'm not going to hear your nonsense. We're not going to have a discussion about your false teaching. Paul goes on to say this in verse 19. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Now, for, that word for at the beginning of verse 19, it usually describes or explains something that was just said. So why Paul mentions the Roman Christian's obedience here and and how it connects with his warning about false teachers Uh, We're not entirely sure. It's not entirely clear, at least. But here is one suggestion, and it is this, that their well-known reputation for obedience that Rome had, the the Christians in Rome, he says, for your obedience is known to all, so their well-known reputation for obedience, which, by the way, was a good thing, okay, could have become a bad thing if there was a lack of awareness and discernment concerning false teachers, because it could have led to them being led astray by such false teachers. It's a sense in which these people are willing to obey, willing to obey Christ, and it's, it's, it's known, well-known, their obedience is well-known, but uh, obedience without discernment is dangerous. One writer says this, false teachers rarely make converts out of raw pagans, those who uh, deny Christ or have nothing, want nothing to do with God. Rather, they go for unsuspecting Christians who lack discernment. And uh, sadly, beloved, in this age, certainly now in this time in our culture, many Christians lack discernment. They don't have a a solid biblical knowledge base from which to determine what is true and what is false. They know some things, but they don't know enough things to keep themselves from being often from being led astray. Very dangerous. The reality is, I, I, I hear this from Christians, I think that They're not even aware that there is a war being waged. I'll talk about that more in a second. So Paul rejoices in their obedience, but he wants them to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. He wants them to be experts, as one person put it, in good. He wants them to be wise concerning everything that is right and true. But he doesn't even want them to be beginners in evil. He doesn't want them to adopt in any way poison, false teaching. 
As I said, one writer put it this way, there are two kinds of obedience, blind and discerning. And the Apostle Paul longed for them to develop the latter, discerning. If it's truth, obey it. If it's not, you better not obey it. Finally, look at verse 20. I like how Paul, he's such an encourager, so he's a, he warns, he loves, but he, he always brings that level of encouragement to folks who are in difficult situation. And the reality is the church is, has been, will remain, not forever, but will, will remain for the time being in a, in a difficult situation, in a real war. Romans 16.20, he says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And then, as he does with all of his letters, he closes with the grace of our Lord, or finishes at least this section, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I think Paul no doubt brings up the ultimate defeat of Satan here, because you're like, where'd that come from? Well, it's because false teachers are his servants. That is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15. False teachers are his servants. That's what the Apostle Paul says, servants of Satan. Hey, they may not know it. It's not like, I'm serving Satan. But you are. That's exactly what you're doing. All those folks on TBN, they're servants of Satan. They do the evil one's work by spreading his damnable lies deceiving and devouring the naive and wreaking havoc within the church. But we can rest, beloved, in the hope that the spiritual war that rages on will one day come to an end. Our God will one day crush him, Satan, under our feet, and along with him, all of his evil plans and schemes. Meanwhile, We need to be on the lookout. We need to be armed with the truth. Yeah? We need to know the word of God. I mean, again, this is one of the reasons we, as elders, as shepherds of this church, encourage you over and over again, read the word, be in the word. Don't let it just be a Sunday thing. That's not enough. In fact, read the entire Bible. You know, we give you that reminder every year. Read through the Bible, maybe. And you can do it in, if you do it in a year, we say do it in a year because you can do it in 15 minutes a day. But some folks, you could do it in, if you're, you could do it in 30 days. I mean, it's a book. It's like any book. The faster you read it, the faster it goes. But we want you reading it. We want you to know all the counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. We want you to know the truth. So, so familiar with it, that any of that garbage right away, you, you know. Not sure, but I'm pretty sure that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. And yet, honestly, folks, the church today, I'm speaking in generalities, of course, but many would agree they're biblically illiterate. This is why we spend so much time working through the text and reading the text, but that's not enough. Sunday's not enough, beloved. Sunday's a good place to to start and to soak in the Word of God and to hear it explained, but you need to be reading it all the time. But let me now point out something. This is what I want, and I'll close with this. Let me point this out as you consider this warning. There is a significant difference 
between the time when Paul lived and the time we live in now. A significant difference. And that is in Paul's day, false teachers targeted the church in person. Okay? In per- they actually they sh- they had to show up. Now, they may have arisen from within or from the outside. They come and they visit. Or occasionally they would maybe write some letter. We even see some references. They would write some letter trying to convince someone in the church or maybe the leadership of the church of their false teaching. Okay? Now, letters were not anything like, you know, no postal service. It wasn't like they went out to their mailbox. These letters had to be taken and in hand, and then they traveled, and they delivered letter. Very slow process. People visiting, they would have to actually go there. So typically, typically, you would, if you're going to have false teachers, it would probably be from you know, your local city. Could, they could have come, as the Judaizers did. They kind of followed Paul around and tried to create chaos in every church that he was planning. That's one thing, but typically it would be just a local kind of threat. You with me? Someone had to come. They had to show up. They had to speak. Or maybe they would have their influence by a letter. So I'm saying all that to say this. Their reach and their influence, false teachers, was to some degree limited. You with me? But today, the church can and does come into contact with false teachers, like I've already mentioned, through a number of different ways, such as TBN, or if not that channel, television in general. Okay? Radio, magazines, books. How many books are published? Can't, who knows, right? A lot of them, or many of them, or whatever, speak to Christian things. Beloved, not all of them are Christian. By that I mean true. They may claim to be Christian. They may claim to be true, but there's false teaching, dangerous teaching in them. What's even more crazy is some of them are sold in Christian bookstores. And so people don't know. They, many people are naive, Christians. They walk in and they go, this is a Christian bookstore. So when I enter, everything is safe. No. No, it's not. This is a Christian channel on television. Therefore, every person who gets on here and speaks is safe. No, not true. Not true. I'm on a Christian radio station. Every single person on there is safe. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And and probably the most widespread of all of ways that false teachers are able to infiltrate the church is through the internet. Huh? My goodness. Just, no, don't do it. But if you were, if you were, you know, wanted to know something biblically and you just type it in, that question, Google will supply you all kinds of folks who will give you a Christian answer. Uh, Much of it, beloved, because I've done it on occasion just to see what pops up, much of it is lies. And it's just like anything else. People think, People are naive. They think if they, if they get it on Google, it must be true. Huh? Doctors deal with this? Ask Chris Yan. Where is he? Somewhere back there. I know he deals with it. 
where people will get a diagnosis, they'll look it up online, and they think that they know more than the doctor. Okay? Now, maybe in some cases, I don't know, but often there's a lot of stuff out there, and some of it is not necessarily the case, not true. I was in the bug business for a long time before I went into ministry. We were actually experts in bugs. I can't tell you how many people would call us and say, you don't know what you're talking about. I looked it up on the internet, and we would just shake our head, right? We couldn't tell these people otherwise. They knew better than us. Well, it's the same with Christianity. People look it up on the internet, they read it, and they think that it's the truth of God's word. Not necessarily so. So the false teaching of false teachers, I said all that to say this, the false teaching of false teachers is ubiquitous. It's a fancy word for it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. You turn on your television, it might be there. You turn on your radio, it might be there. You turn on your computer, it might be there. It's everywhere. It's in the bookstore. It's everywhere. So you've got to be on guard. You should never be assuming that something is safe. Just, it's okay. Everything's okay as long as it comes under the heading of Christian. Not necessarily so. Certainly not so. Now, here's some challenges for us. How about this one? Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. Okay? But that's why I brought that up. It's made that much more difficult when you are receiving to yourself without knowing anything about the author, the person, the so-called teacher of God's word. You don't really know anything about him, but you're, you're, you're just accepting wholesale, maybe, everything he or she is saying. Beloved, that, that's, you don't know their lives, though. So it's easier than for false teachers to operate because they hide behind the internet or behind the radio or whatever it is, and they're able to spew all their junk out, and you don't see their life. You don't see how they really live. You don't see the evidence that they don't serve the Lord Christ, but rather they serve their own appetites, and you don't know. But Paul's saying if... They teach things that are contrary to what you learn. They all are false teachers. And trust me, they're living for themselves. They don't serve our Lord. So whether you see it or not, that is the truth. But how are you going to know if what they're teaching is false if you're not familiar with the Word of God? You know, by the way, I'll just say this. We have had people ask us in the past, Hey, I was thinking about, someone recommended this book to me. Do you know anything about the author? You know what? We love that question. And I wouldn't mind getting it more. And just direct all those calls to Thomas. (laughs) Because sometimes, I only say I'm joking, of course. I mean, I end up giving it to him anyway. But what happens is... If I don't know, or he, because we do, we're familiar with a lot of folks, right? So we might know something about them. We might know who they are, where they come from, where they got their education. Are they okay? Are they not okay? And if they are okay, not maybe everything's okay about them. Maybe they teach something contrary that wouldn't be helpful to you. Maybe not heresy, but maybe not helpful. But if not, we try to research it. But here's the thing, we're careful. So if we don't know, I'd prefer just to stay away, Honestly. Because I don't know, and because I know there's a real threat. I guess that's the point, guys. It's everywhere. Satan is, it's his means of wreaking havoc upon the church. So he's crafty. 
By the way, this instruction, finally, to turn away from them. Okay, think about it in an in-person situation. They come, we determine that they are false teachers, so by turning away from them means we, you're, you're, not gonna be, you're out, you're, move out of the congregation. We're not going to let you come in and spew your nonsense on the body, on the flock, and try to devour them and pull them away. We're not going to let you do that, and the church itself should turn away from them. They shouldn't say, yeah, come on in, Bob. It's okay. I, I know, you, uh, uh, you know you believe some really crazy things, but... And, and this is different. This is different from someone who's maybe confused, right? You've got to understand the difference. They might be confused. They might be lost. They might be um, looking. They want help. That's different from the person that comes in and says, let me tell you how it is. And let me tell you why the church that you're serving, that you're at, let me tell you why they're wrong or why Christians got this part wrong. Let me tell you, that's different. And that's what I'm talking about. Had a guy, I was telling Thomas about that, had a guy way back when, before the church even opened, we were doing Bible studies and to tell people about Jesus Christ. And we were canvassing the area and we're taking them through the gospel of Luke. We had knocked on this guy's door like we had knocked on many doors. And, he, and we asked him, would you be interested in learning more about Jesus Christ? He, he said he, he knew about Christ, that he was a Christian. But he said, sure, I'd love, I haven't been on a good Bible study, I haven't been able to find a good church, so on and so forth. He comes to the Bible study. I think, I think it was the first one, I think. I knew, I suspected that some of the comments he made sounded to me to be racist in nature. Wasn't sure, but it was just the things he said. So red flag one, red flag one, this guy claims to be a Christian, but what he's saying, so either he's very confused or, or he is a racist. And so, okay, so that's red flag one, right? And then we sit down afterwards, this is after the meeting, and he begins to tell me about his understanding of Genesis and something called the serpent seed doctrine. And uh, I'll just quickly say the serpent seed doctrine is that uh, there were two people. This is true, Adam and Eve. This is the part that's not true. So they always start with some truth, okay? God created two people. Now here comes the lie. Eve had physical relations with the serpent. And the seed they produced was Cain. And the KKK uses that in one or two ways. That's the Jewish race. Or it's the black race. Depends on you know what they feel like saying that that day. Serpent seed doctrine. I asked him to never come back. I did it politely. Hmm? Not gonna have a car. Okay, we're done. Do not come back. But he came. So here's what I want to say. Many times that is not how the influence comes. Where it's a person. It's through books, it's through internet, it's through radio, it's through TV. So, an application of turning away is, I don't read that book. I don't read that book if it's, a, if it's a false teacher or I find in it false teaching. I don't care what else you have to say. I'm not going to, in a sense, have a conversation with you by continuing to let you speak into my life. If it's, a, if it's a pastor who you like a lot of what he says, but he's got this thing that's really bad, like he says uh, 
the gospel, yeah, you're saved by grace, but it's also something you do. There's some, something, some effort you have to make in order to bring about salvation. I don't care what else you have to say. We're done. I'm not going to let you speak into my life. I'm turning away from you. You get me? You get what I'm saying? That's, a, that's an application of this real situation that we find ourselves in. I want nothing to do with false teaching or a false teacher. I won't have it. That is the appropriate response because you understand how dangerous they are. I'll close with this. One writer says this. This is actually J.C. Ryle. You might, some of you might know that name. Uh, well-known 19th century preacher. Gone home to be with the Lord. I love this. He says, three things there are which men never ought to tri- trifle with. A little poison, a little false doctrine, and a little sin. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for this body, this flock. I love them dearly, but Father, you love them more. Uh, it's, not, it's unimaginable. We can't even get our minds around your love for us. And, uh, but Father, I pray for them. I pray for us, Lord, that they would take seriously Paul's warning. Father, I pray even for those who weren't here today, for whatever reason, Lord, I pray even for them that they might uh, listen to the sermon online later, and, and heed its warning. Father, I pray that, first of all, we'd be aware there is a real battle going on, Father. Help us to see that, not to I don't, be nonchalant about it. That's so dangerous for us individually, but also for us as a body, corporately. As one goes down, he impacts, she impacts the rest of the body. We are connected So, Father, I pray that everyone would take it seriously. Yes, Father, the elders here take very seriously the responsibility, but we can't see everything or be everywhere. And so it's not just us, but the the entire body is responsible. Watch out! And to turn away from false teachers in their teaching. Father, I pray that that, we would do that. And Lord, I I also pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds to help us see how important it is for us to be so familiar with the truth, with your word, with the scriptures, that we can more quickly, more easily identify those who twist and distort them and pervert them for their own gain. Father, Jesus Christ gave his very life, his blood, to purchase the church. So it is invaluable. It's priceless. May we seek with our whole heart and mind to protect, to protect it. I pray to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.